0: Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... So the mission of Classroom Inc. is delivered through a program we call Read to Lead, and Read to Lead is a platform, and it uses the power of game-based learning to help middle school students gain the literacy life and career skills that they so need in order to ensure that successful transition to high school and beyond. Hey,
1: it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. I hope you and your families are all doing well and staying calm and healthy. My guest today attended the University of Buffalo to become a teacher and started her career in politics working in the New York State Assembly and the Governor's Office. Her passion for teaching and love for New York City took her to the Bronx where she served as a teacher for a while before she moved to Washington, D.C. to work on the intersection of politics and education. After completing her master's in public administration, education policy, and management at Columbia SIPA in New York, she joined the Urban Assembly to lead their educational initiatives. During this time, she became familiar with the vision, mission, and work of Classroom Inc., and decided to join them to further increase her impact on education. I'm thrilled to introduce to you today, Christina Oliver, Executive Director at Classroom Inc, a nettech tech nonprofit founded in the 90s by Louis W. Bernard from Morgan Stanley. He wanted to bridge the learning gap between middle and high school and the workplace. Through Read to Lead, their digital learning games platform and curriculum they put middle school students in charge of their learning by becoming the boss in a virtual workplace in the process they read closely think critically and solve real-life problems all while balancing the hectic demands of an exciting workplace most importantly These middle schoolers build critical literacy and leadership skills to help them thrive in school, life, and career. During our conversation, we unpack the Read to Lead, game-based approach used as a literacy learning supplement by after-school and summer school programs, as well as during the school day. Their impact is transformational. Students especially those struggling with literacy and engagement, many of which have been told that people who look like them will never succeed, increase reading achievement, find motivation in being the leader, and see, often for the first time, a real connection between learning, career aspirations, and their futures. If you are a middle school educator who wants to help your students thrive in the classroom, career and life you can join the read to lead free platform at rtlgames.org In addition to their free digital learning games and curriculum, you will find a plethora of development tools and resources to help you build the skills you want to enhance your impact as educator Tune in to learn from a leader who believes that hands-on game-based learning can empower middle school students to build 21st century skills and develop the confidence to thrive in school, college, career, and life. Let's dive right in. Hello, Christina. Welcome to Impact Learning.
0: Hi, Maria. It's so good to be with you.
1: Let's start with your childhood. What's your favorite uh, learning experience? Whether you learn something new or something different,
0: I grew up in Buffalo, New York, on a small cul-de-sac, so a dead end street, as we like to call it when we were little. And I would say the vast majority of my early, very memorable learning isn't necessarily in school. It's in it's on the playground. It's in backyards. It's in play with other other friends and and kids. And it's in the creativity of playing a game and iterating on that game. Um, so we would play a classic hide and seek game, right? When we were young, there were probably twelve, a dozen kids on this this small street, and we kept iterating. We would add, we would add. It used to be a. You know, it was a backyard, it became hide-and-seek on the entire block, it became hide-and-seek in teams, and over the course of a year or two years, it's amazing what you can do to the game of hide-and-seek. So that's, I think, the experiential, creative, in real time, is one of my, I think, most, uh, just a warm memory of of when I was young. And I, I have one more. Yes. When I was going to kindergarten, I have a very distinct memory. I could tell you the outfit I was wearing when I was waiting for my first school bus at the age of five. Mrs. Parker was my easily 70-year-old kindergarten teacher who was one of the most joyful human beings I had ever encountered. So for a child to start and for me to start my formal schooling with a woman who loved learning, who loved singing, who loved reading, and was able to impart that joy on the, you know, 15 five-year-olds that she had in her classroom was pretty powerful. And so I, I think of her often on many levels, but a wonderful start to, to my formal schooling. Mm-hmm. What about uh, the thinking uh, on education at home? My parents did not achieve college and college education um, on their own. Yet they, my father, tried and just couldn't make it happen with lots of other priorities. They really understood the importance of education. So, a just very overt—you're going to college, right? So, so there's a lot of overt messages in in my home growing up but my mother was a voracious reader. So every night she'd be sitting on the couch reading a novel. And I wasn't a voracious reader as a young person. I have, as I've become much older, like 20 plus, I became a reader, but I've never forgot. She took us to the library. So it was a rich, loving household. And the fact that my parents weren't able to go to college, like millions of Americans uh, didn't, you know, if anything was an incentive for us to to go to college.
1: Yeah. What were you interested in learning growing up? What type of subjects?
0: Ugh, I loved history from the moment I could like watch the history channel. Um, I tended to fall into the humanities. So I did love to write. I loved history. I loved learning about our mistakes um, and the mistakes of other um, other civilizations and generations. I loved hands-on learning. Biology was one of my favorite classes in high school. I had an incredible teacher, lots of experiments, and again, that is a theme for me. Like I, I learn in real time, experiential. I process out loud, uh, so that is that is another wonderful quality. Um, so, so I would say the humanities and biology were really my my favorites, and a lot of that had to do with with teachers, and again, my own my own interest in particularly history, which which takes me there's there's more to that story. So, what's more? Well, I in high school had an incredible teacher, Joanne Morgan, who to this day is a dear friend and and mentor. She was my world civilization teacher. And one of the reasons that I went to to college to become a teacher. So I did a dual degree in history and um, secondary education. And in part because of of her impact on me. And I had other, I was very fortunate. I've definitely had my mix of, of teachers like we all have, but I had a, a handful of really incredible people who impacted me in a way that I really understood the power of, of being a teacher and sharing that love of learning um, and imparting knowledge and creating knowledge um, and allowing students really the opportunity to create knowledge. And so that, that really impacted me when I thought of my own career. Beautiful. And what was your uh, first job? After college, well, my first job was at the age of thirteen. But we can talk about my first job after college. Okay, no, no, I'm, I'm curious. What did what type of job did you do at thirteen? <laughs> at the age of thirteen, I worked for a um, through Catholic charities. One of my dear friends, her mother, arranged for us to go work at a rifle club, which was not so far from my home, but at the age of 13, we were, I was around a lot of guns and I was keeping score of skeet, so skeet shooting. And it was my first formal work experience and a crazy experience on so many levels. But it was my first taste at really making my own money and a sense of independence. I rode my bike the five to seven miles to get there. Um, and it was a very formative experience that led me to, to want to keep, keep working and keep, maybe not at the, at the gun club, but to, to keep working um, and earning my own money. Was it during the summer or throughout the year? That's a great question. Um, We started in the summertime in Buffalo, New York. No better place to be in the world. Beautiful, warm, sunny, fantastic. I continued working through the winter. So Buffalo is known for its winters. Um, That is not a secret. Uh, So I worked through probably December, maybe into January. And then I quit because it was just frigid. Um, Of course. I lasted the longest of all of my girlfriends. I just want to say that. They all quit before me. <laughs> so all of you
1: girls, why, why attracted you to work at the rifle place?
0: To be honest, it's the only job, right? So the, my, my, my friend Jen and her mom, she was like, I, I found a job for you. So we weren't, we weren't job searching. Somebody was like, you're going to go work to keep you out of trouble. It was basically the, the idea.
1: Beautiful. And uh, what about after college?
0: After college, my first job, well, I attended the University of Buffalo to become a teacher and I did all of my teaching experiences. I was 21 and felt, and I had done student teaching, I had completed my student teaching in high school and I felt very, I felt immature, um, frankly. And I recognized that I was very close in age to the students I was teaching and I felt like I needed different another experience before perhaps going back to teaching so my first job out of college was working in the New York State Assembly Um, I was a media coordinator and that means that I worked for five different members of the New York State Assembly I wrote their press releases I was basically I, I helped to run their campaigns during election season any press, anything that you would need to communicate the legislative accomplishments of members of the New York State Assembly is, is what, I, what I did in that job. And it was an incredible experience, written experience. I worked with a bunch of 20-somethings, and it was a real education on the political experience in, in the state of New York, I would argue, and in America. Mm-hmm. What kind of skills did you build during this time? Definitely my writing skills and my communication skills. The vast majority of my work when I was in the New York State Assembly literally had to do with translating a legislative, right, a piece of legislation to how it would impact your neighbor, right? How it would impact you in your daily life. Uh, so there was a lot of, I would I would call it translation, uh, broadly speaking. I think the other the, one of the other skills I learned during that time was to create critically assess and to critically think about the role of representation, I'll say in the state of New York, right? I would argue in this country, but mm-hmm. to, to really consider the role of representation and what I imagined it was, and in some cases, what it actually was. So whether that's a skill, it's definitely a learning, and it was an important learning for me. There are some incredible representatives that represent the people that elected them, and they do it in a really sincere and incredible way, and there were a lot of shenanigans that that happened um at the to this day, obviously, that's true to this moment as well. that concept of power and how power corrupts. you know, I often think certainly in the in the present day we're we're talking you know, there's a lot of conversation around power at the federal level and what that, what that means, but the same, our New York state assembly and Senate and any, any representatives of states is a microcosm of that system. And there was a lot of abuse of power. um, And again, and a lot of greatness. I, it was, it really, you know, I don't want to, I worked with incredible people. It was an incredible experience on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Very good. What happens after this job? So I stayed with the, um, I stayed in Albany, New York primarily in the New York State Assembly. And then I went to work in the New York, in the governor's office. So that was kind of a promotion. When I got to the governor's office, I had the opportunity, I worked for his chief of staff and I had the opportunity to go back and forth between Albany, New York and New York City. And I had a taste of New York City, and I loved it. Uh, again, from upstate, the vast majority of my life was, you know, definitely in upstate New York. And that experience of being in the city and continuing that work led me to want to spend more time there. Right. So my goal was to spend more time in New York. I used to beg my boss to to transfer me to the to the New York City office, and and he wouldn't do it. Understandably, right decision. <laughs> And at the same time, at that role as a assistant to the chief of staff to the governor was a political experience that was furthest away from the reason I got into politics to begin with. And the reason I got into politics was around advocacy and giving voice to people who didn't have a voice, right, it was the representation piece. And the further I felt that I was getting away from that, the less driven, mission driven I was for the work. So I started interviewing in New York City for teaching jobs. And I left the New York State, I left the governor's office to work in the Lower East Side at junior high school, 56, as a humanities teacher for sixth, seventh and eighth grade.
1: Did you enjoy it? And were you ready now? Because some time had passed?
0: Yes, I was probably 25 or so. I loved it. It is teaching is the hardest job on the planet. I loved every minute of it. I loved every single student. I love middle school. It's just such an incredible moment, developmental moment for, for young people. And I had the energy and I continue to have the energy, but to match that. So it was exhausting. I've never worked harder. I've never worked long hours. I ran campaigns right before this. So I knew what long hours were, but I never worked longer hours. But the benefit, the benefit was, was absolutely
1: incredible. So at this point, did you like find your place? Was it that
0: you, what you wanted to do or were you still looking for something different? Life took me out of teaching. I taught only for a year on the Lower East Side. It was right before And um, a family illness brought me back to Buffalo. So I left teaching. I went back to Buffalo. I actually went back to politics, which to be really frank was easiest. It was easiest for me to do that. And I really be, I had an opportunity to kind of reflect on what it is I wanted to do. Did I try? And I tried to go back to my school and they gave me an opportunity to come back teaching math. And I, I laughed. I joked because I was like, I am the last person on the planet that you want teaching math to middle schoolers. Um, So I wasn't able to get back to my original position. And that actually led me on another path. I've, uh, like many people, I ended up going to move to Washington, D.C. I continued to try to pursue some political work. And I ended up finding a brilliant intersection of education and politics. I worked for a nonprofit that at the time was helping states to roll out No Child Left Behind. This is the Bush administration. and at the same time began to apply to graduate school. Um, and so during that time I was there for it was in Washington DC for about a year and ended up getting accepted to Columbia's School of International and Public Affairs. And so happily returned uh, to New York City to, uh, to get my master's degree. Why
1: did you want to, to do your master's? Mm.
0: I wanted to dive deeper, more deeply into education policy and education reform. And the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia allowed me the opportunity to attend classes at Teachers College, at the business school, and to do those management, those public management classes at SIPA. So it it offered this kind of incredible opportunity to interact with amazing professors and a really dynamic group of students that allowed me to really understand where I could make, or at least reflect on where I could make the greatest impact specifically in the education space. And And it did, it did, it did its job. So what were you thinking now of your next path? So at this time, I really was focused on education reform. I had worked and met a number of fellow students who were working in New York City schools at that time. And I did for a short time go back to teaching. So I taught at Bronx Prep Charter School. And at the same time, I met a visionary leader named Richard Kahn, who was leading the then very new Urban Assembly, which was an education reform nonprofit in new york building out and working with leaders and creating the small schools movement that was funded by gates and many others his vision was one that resonated so strongly with me and that vision was around giving students a relevant curriculum right a relevant educational experience that linked school to career And that was the work of the Urban Assembly, creating these theme-based high schools um, that bridged uh, career and academics and offered students kind of a path to different career opportunities. And I worked uh, worked there for a few years and led their program, all their internships and their mentoring and worked closely with corporate partners and government partners to bring learning alive for students in New York City. Mm
1: -hmm. And basically, the approach was through internships and mentoring to prepare to bridge the gap.
0: It was. The Urban Assembly creates small schools and their thematic schools. So uh, the School of Law and Justice, the School of Media, Environment. uh, So they they linked into themes and interests of students and then created these experiences outside the classroom that also sometimes they came into the classroom. Those internships were outside the classroom, but we would bring experts from those industries into the classroom so we could make those direct linkages. Mm -hmm. Are they still middle school or also high school? They, the Urban Assembly, started as high school, so it was a 9 to 12 model, Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases began to build back to the six to 12 model, recognizing that ninth graders were often coming to us and had significant academic deficit, right, significant challenges, and really just wanting more time and recognizing the importance of middle school in bridging that gap uh, between the elementary and high school period um, and setting students up for that really successful transition. So the vast majority of their schools were high schools, but some of the schools over time became six to 12.
1: Mm It seems to me, Christina, that you are very focused
0: on middle school students. What brings you to, I guess, Classroom Inc? Classroom Inc is a nonprofit organization that was literally founded in 1992 by Louis Bernard, our, our founder and current board chair. And his vision was. To bridge that learning gap between high school and the workplace and he mentored and um, he worked at Morgan Stanley and they had a number of programs to work with local schools and he just saw this huge gap between what students were learning in high school and what they needed to be successful in the workplace and when I met Classroom Inc at the Urban Assembly I just saw an opportunity to scale the work we were doing at the Urban Assembly. The Urban Assembly is an amazing organization. I was really excited by the idea that you could make learning relevant, you can expose students to careers, and you could do that with thousands, hundreds of thousands of students. And I was invited to interview as the director of programs at Classroom Inc. and seized that moment. I saw it as a, a really natural next step of, of the work that I, I'm clearly so, so passionate about. Mm -hmm. And what is your role today at Classroom Inc.? So I've been with the organization for the last seven years. Um, My role today and for the last just over a year is the executive director of Classroom. So I lead the organization. Um, Prior to that, I was, I ran all of our programs and professional development and partnership work uh, for many years. What is the change you you try to create and who do you serve? The vision of Classroom Inc. is that we want to create a world where young people, no matter where they come from, can pursue the career of their choice and realize their fullest potential. So the mission of Classroom Inc. is delivered through a program we call Read to Lead. And Read to Lead is a platform and it uses the power of game-based learning to help middle school students gain the literacy life and career skills that they so need in order to ensure that successful transition to high school and beyond. Christina, I want uh, to
1: understand a little bit why you chose game-based learning as the way the technology and the experience to bridge the gap we are talking about between you know high school and college and further you
0: know into the future. Why game-based learning? So you you already said, Maria, right, that in middle school, this is one of the most, and I will full disclosure, I'm a I'm a mother, a parent to twin seventh graders. So I am I am living this moment. I'm a former middle school teacher. And the research is so clear here that in middle school, students are the development, the brain development in middle school is The only other time where there's this level of brain development is in infancy. So this is an explosion, as we all know, of hormones and brain development and experiential learning, putting students in the role, developing that agency are all things that we can accomplish through, in part, through game-based learning. Game-based learning is, is the kind of hook to engage students in reading and so part of what we do at Classroom Inc. and through Read to Lead is we want to engage struggling readers or disengaged readers, right? Students who may not be as excited to read or may be struggling with reading comprehension or vocabulary acquisition skills. And we put students in the role of the boss. So the game allows us to create a virtual environment and virtual scenarios where students can experience things they would never experience, or they may never experience. So for example, one of our learning games is is called Vital Signs. So in Vital Signs, students take on the role of medical director in a community health clinic. So they're a doctor, and they are also running a business, right? They're running a clinic. And so every day they come to the office, there are patients they have to deal with. So they have to diagnose patients. Some patients have anxiety issues. Others have traveled and have mysterious illnesses. They have to make decisions about whether they're going to care for patients that may not have health insurance. They have to manage conflict with their staff. And these are 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, right? So we're creating these environments for students to experience both the world and to practice those reading, problem solving, critical thinking skills in a safe environment.
1: But also they are getting directly exposed to like real case scenarios, like real case studies of what it looks like to be a doctor, because many want, say, you know, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a doctor, I want to be this and that. But we don't know what it is
0: until, you know, we, we get to do it. Exactly, They're, they have exposure to over 30 careers uh, within the Read to Lead learning games. And so you're exactly right. They have the opportunity to engage with characters they're a medical secretary, right? There's a, a business manager, right? There are all these different roles that fall within, to, within the healthcare professions. Um, and yes, you're right. Oftentimes students will say, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a nurse. We want to broaden their understanding of the medical professions, but really also broaden their understanding of themselves and the decision maker, the leader. You know, think about ethical decision making. Sometimes we don't make the best decisions, right? Sometimes we actually... There are consequences when we don't make those, the best decisions. And to do that work when you're young, 10, 11, and 12, is so powerful. It has such, such an impact on students.
1: Help me understand the connection between the game-based learning and the experiential learning and reading and literacy skills. If you
0: remember, perhaps you remember in the, I guess it was probably the 70s or 80s, there were these choose your own adventure books and you'd page through the book and you'd make a decision and it would send you on another page. We've basically gamified that experience, which is there are decision trees and you are reading through your day at work. So imagine a graphic novel, you're reading through your day at work, you're engaging with your staff. Mai comes in and she's had an asthma attack and you have to talk to her and figure out what happened that resulted in this asthma attack. And that's all reading, right? That's all dialogue between you and the characters in the story. So there's the kind of graphic novel, scenario-based learning, but there's also the making a decision and having a consequence. So often in our games, you can make a decision that isn't the best you could say something kind of rude to one of your staff members and they're gonna call you out. They're gonna say, wow, you didn't have to say that that way. And students that resonate so strongly with students, they're like, "Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to hurt his feelings or um, I could have made a better decision. And that's exactly what you want. You want them to be reflective of those of those decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. And do they communicate like in writing or also live, like you know, actual, actual
0: dynamic communication? The Read to Lead programs uh, focus on both reading and writing skills. And often within the game experience, you're writing memos to your brief memos to your staff. So when students are playing the game, they make decisions, they read through their workday, they complete what we like to call workplace tasks, And those are actually embedded assessments. They're formative assessments where students are reading through a memo, they have to highlight important information, and then they're gonna write a brief memo summarizing what they learned to their staff, all in the context of being the boss. And all of that information goes into a dashboard that allows the teacher to kind of see the progress that students are making, and also see areas where students need additional support, particularly with those those reading and writing skills. That reminds me
1: of a, a, an assessment I did before I became a vice president. It was a pretty sophisticated, I would call it a rigorous assessment, but more or less we had, you know, we're, we're making acquisitions. We were, uh, be, you know, things that happen in corporate. A lot of that was exactly what you described. And then, you know, you had to read, I don't know, 38 emails and uh, try basically to develop a communication strategy because this thing is not
0: working. So there was a lot of exactly what you described. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, right? Those are transferable skills. They're transferable skills in a classroom and they're transferable skills in a in a corporate workplace. Absolutely.
1: I would have uh, really appreciated to have done the, your program, you know, when I was like twelve, uh, <laughs> and,
0: and I was also, like, say it's when, not when, too late. <laughs>
1: yes, and you not know, when I was thirty six, you know, whatever <laughs> I was, I don't remember. But you know, I was not a youngster, you know, like that, because then, you know, you develop all the the empathy and all the other skills, and you know how others perceive what we write and how they read it and all that. What is the role of the educator, of the teacher
0: during this process? I will thank you for asking that question because the students and the teacher are at the center of uh, the design, the game and curriculum design that we that we do at, at Classroom Inc. And as a former teacher, there's nothing more important than the facilitator, than the teacher, right? So our goal is to create learning games, curriculum, and data that allow teachers to be more effective, right? To make their lives easier and to inform the instructional decisions that they're going to make in order to support each individual learner. So our platform is really designed for teachers and students, but our platform is designed for teachers to create Those scenarios, those learning games where students are engaged in reading. And then we give teachers a lot of the building that we give them pre-lessons and we give them reflection and discussion lessons so they can facilitate and pull out the learning that students experience in that game. Um, or in those workplace scenarios. So they're going to help students build skills before they go to work and play those games. And they're going to help students reflect on the decisions that they made and engage students in collaborative discussion after they've played those games. And then finally, they're going to look at the data and they're going to say, Maria really is struggling with her close reading. And I'm going to identify Maria and a number of other students in the classroom and pull them in for some small group additional instruction. So we're really helping to personalize those instructional targets and those instructional decisions that teachers are making. Where do they get the additional resources and
1: tools and recommendations you talked about? Like, do you offer all that, all that or do they also have to figure it out by themselves?
0: So in addition to the platform and those lessons and the learning games, we've embedded training on the platform. So through those lessons, we're helping teachers to improve their instruction In addition, though, I'm fortunate in that I have an incredible team that helps to prepare teachers by providing upfront training, providing ongoing support so that they do, you know, again, as a former teacher, there were lots of times where my principal would come to me and say, you have to use this. And I would get some horrible training and I would feel pressure to use it. In some cases we have principals who are who are buying in and and want teachers to use this but we've designed our tools for teachers and so we want to continue to support teachers obviously these last 6 months with the impact of covid school closures we've been providing a ton of virtual professional development to teachers and to families across the country so professional development with or without these unique and challenging times is essential. Training is essential for teachers. Curriculum is, is so important. It's going to help to engage students. It's going to build those skills. It's got to be research-based. But we really feel strongly that we don't, that we also want to provide teachers with training and ongoing support, and we're here for them.
1: Mm-hmm. And I heard also that you, you have an element of adaptive
0: learning. Is that also built within the design? It is. I think making sure that we are adapting and creating a learning tool that does meet the needs of diverse learners is essential. One example is for struggling readers, it's sometimes very effective to have text read aloud. So for those students who can read, they can read straight through their, their workplace experience. We have a read aloud capability. We have translation capabilities. We want to make sure that all learners are feeling confident. And when they're, when they're ready to go to the next phase, they go to the next phase. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about uh,
1: how uh, teachers and schools and districts, how do they incorporate the
0: program? Is it during the class, after class? What options do they have? So Read to Lead is a really flexible tool. It has been the platform, the lessons, the learning games have been used in both out-of-school time and and after-school environments, and also in the school day. When we design Read to Lead, we design Read to Lead for school day teachers. We design based on Anchor, English language arts standards. And so anybody, anytime, anywhere can access the platform, but we find the greatest success is with teachers in the classroom who are using Read to Lead as a supplement to their core English language arts or reading curriculum. There's lots of mandated curriculum. Not all of it is meeting meeting teachers' needs and students' needs. And so what teachers tell us is Read to Lead programs are an opportunity to engage their students like really no other opportunity, right? There are very few opportunities where students are becoming the boss, where they're leading their own learning. And so that in and of itself, the engagement piece is so essential. As a former middle school teacher, if students were engaged in what we were doing, that was half the battle. So we're getting them halfway there and then we're providing those additional data informative assessment supports so that teachers can also personalize instruction for students. One other note on the personalization front, when students are playing through the game, when an individual student is playing through the game, depending on as they play through the game, there are embedded assessments. And there are levels. So if I'm struggling, I'm going, as a student, I'm going to get additional supports and hints to help me through my, my read-to-lead experience. And if I'm doing really well and I'm getting everything right, we're going to make things a little bit more challenging for students as well. So there is a personalized pathway within the read-to-lead experience that allows students who need a challenge and allows students who need support to get what they need to succeed.
1: Mm-hmm. And is this now a feature of the technology of the platform or again or is it the role of the teacher and the facilitator to to identify these let's say gaps or aspects that they need to go
0: back and and get more learning and more experience? The embedded assessments that students experience in the learning game go to a dashboard where the teacher can then see some of those gaps that that you mentioned. So I can see which of my students need more assistance on a vocabulary and in-context skill set, for example. And I can see those that don't need that assistance, right? So I can focus my energy on on the students who really need my support. And that's really what the making the lives of e- teachers easier, right? It is so helpful to have actionable data to inform where I need to focus my time, energy, and effort. How long
1: does it uh, last? What is, because I think the time that they, you know, the students
0: experience that also plays a role. Absolutely. So there are three learning games in Read to Lead, There's After the Storm, uh, which is you're leading, you're an editor-in-chief, so you're a journalist. There's Vital Signs, you're a medical director of that community health clinic. And there's Community in Crisis, where you're leading a nonprofit organization, a community-based organization in a community that's just been devastated by a hurricane. If I'm playing one of our learning games, Vital Signs, I have 12 days at work, so we call those 12 learning games. Each learning game is about a 30-minute reading experience for students. So the learning game, the, the scenario is about a 30 minute experience. And then there are lessons and discussion questions and projects that teachers and students can also use to, to reinforce that learning. Mm-hmm. How much interaction uh, do they have be- you know, student to student? That's such a good question. In, the cl- in a classroom, in a brick and mortar classroom environment, we always encourage students to work together. The history of classroom ink is that students would actually work in groups of three back in the day when there were four computers in a classroom. And so there was this collaborative decision-making and collaborative reading experience. The increase in demand and desire for individualized student data, when we designed Read to Lead and launched it in 2017, we took into account Yes, that demand and the power of that personalization. So, student, it is a one-to-one experience. A student would be on um, his or her laptop playing through the game, but we do in, and we do encourage collaboration outside of that experience, outside of the the digital workplace experience. So, there's a the answer to your question is there's a mix. Part of the read to lead experience is a one to one experience. And part of the read to lead experience is one where there is rich collaboration, discussion, reflection, um, and projects, uh, project based learning. So students can apply what they learned in the game outside of that environment. Mm -hmm. What do the students enjoy the most? The most common feedback I hear from students is they love being the boss they've never been given this level of responsibility. Sometimes that's really stressful. Sometimes that's really hard to be the boss, but they love it. And, and I, the second piece I, I often get when I talk to a student long enough is, you know, this learning game has really helped me in my life. And I often am like, oh, tell me how, right? And so many times I've heard students say, you know, it's actually helped me to to keep my my siblings from fighting, right? I'm I'm a better negotiator. I can I can help to understand, you know, each side of a of an issue. And that helps me at home, which is which is amazing, which is amazing. And my other favorite comment is using, you know, being the boss in Read to Lead allowed me to, to, to build the confidence, right? I didn't think I was a great reader. I am, right? I just needed the motivation. I needed to try, right? Yes, there are absolutely real underlying issues in reading and reading comprehension, but sometimes it's, you just need to be really interested in the thing that you're reading in order to persevere. And so I that is one of the most Powerful statements to me. It resonates with me personally. It resonates the child that I was, um, and not always feeling engaged in learning. And it is the it is that linkage between being interested in something, doing it, and getting good at it, and then parlaying that to to something else, right, to another subject. To another book, right? To reading the newspaper, to all of these behaviors that can impact students both in the classroom and outside of the classroom.
1: They also talk about uh, that they can see the connection between uh, the importance of learning and you know the future. Future, it could be high school, college, and then career and life overall. But they can see it. So, how do you make that possible? Because again, we're talking about middle schoolers.
0: So I like to say that Read to Lead is really that ga- that bridge, right? We talked about that transition to high school. It's the bridge between middle and high school. So it's relevant and it's interesting, but it also allows them to see what's possible beyond the classroom. And in seeing that I can be a medical professional and seeing that I can advocate for my community when I'm older, it makes learning now more relevant. And therefore, right, if we're gonna continue that engagement gap, right, that engagement declines in middle school, if we can reverse that and through in part what we do at Read to Lead, Increase that engagement that allows us to get get over that hump and that bridge to high school and really prevent that ninth grade dropout uh, rate because students see beyond the beyond high school and to their goal right their future goals.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you serve like everyone, like every teacher, every district, every student, or do you have more specific focus on, let's say, some uh, groups? that they're maybe underserved or they have less access? And it could be okay to say I serve everyone. I just want to understand that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it is our mission to serve communities that that lack access and lack resources for the last 28 years. When we launched our Read to Lead platform in 2017, it is free and it is open to the public. And our, our concern actually was, oh gosh, we're gonna like launch Read to Lead and, you know, all of these, let's call it affluent or whatever affluent communities, are gonna gonna seize the moment. And the great news is, I guess, is that eighty-two percent of the students who are using Read to Lead are Title One or qualify for for Title One, right? So we are still, and the vast majority of the the students that are using our platform do come out of rural communities and urban communities, right? So those are our communities where we don't have tons of access often. There are tons of of need and and lack of resources. So we were so pleased to see that in launching a a free platform that we are both opening it up to the world because it's awesome content, but also continuing to serve our mission.
1: How many students and teachers have you impacted so far?
0: So in the history of Classroom Inc., we've served over and impacted over a million students. The Read to Lead platform last year impacted 50,000 students and about 2,600 teachers. And so we find ourselves in a place which, is, which has been growing. So our goal over the next three years is to reach over 12,000 teachers and 250,000 students. So if I'm a teacher or a principal, or maybe,
1: you know, someone who advocates for education in my district or my neighborhood, or even a parent of a middle schooler like Mm -hmm. you are, Mm -hmm. and I like what you are saying, Christine, and I can see how this could help, let's say, my student or my child. What is the process to get what you talked about, title and funding? Like, how do they get basically access to your programs
0: and, get the, and the games? Well, the great news is, is Read to Lead is free. So the only thing they have to do is they have to go to rtlgames.org and they can learn about Read to Lead. They can read some of those testimonials that you were talking about. They can actually try out our learning games and see some of our curriculum. And if they like what they see, they can literally register for free. It takes about 30 seconds. So rtlgames.org is really the only, the only thing that you need to know in order to access um, the Read to Lead learning games and curriculum.
1: Do you follow the students? like on their journey afterwards, let's say they go to high school or they go to college. Like do you keep a connection to also
0: see like the long-term impact you you know you are creating? So as a nonprofit, our whole reason for existing is impact. And so we have a research department and we are always looking at using research both to measure impact of students, but we're also using research to ensure that we are continually aligning ourselves to learning science and making sure that our our content is based in in research and learning science. In terms of assessing student impact, we mostly focus on um, looking at reading test scores. So we've done a study where we worked with um, a number of Catholic schools in the Bronx And we compared our Catholic schools, we'll call them our read-to-lead schools, to schools that didn't use read-to-lead. And we're a supplement, right? So it's always a challenge to to make those direct connections. But in doing this study, and we did it over two years, we found that the schools that use read-to-lead, particularly those students who are the most struggling in New York State, that's level, they're called level one and level two out of a level four did better, right, scored higher on their um, New York State reading exam than those students who didn't use Read to Lead. So we, it reinforces our mission. It reinforces the impact of these tools. We use surveys. We do interviews with teachers and students. So we have a really holistic way. Test scores are important, don't get me wrong, but they're not the end all be all. And so we are—we have a really broad viewpoint of research and impact. What we haven't done is to answer your question. We haven't been able to track the students other than anecdotally in terms of thinking about the impact of read to lead in middle school and how it impacts high school and college. Uh, there, anecdotally, we've we've heard from students that you know it it is a powerful experience. It it does all the things we've been talking about. Makes those strong linkages. Research is expensive and really hard to fundraise for, so we are, for the time being, really focusing on the impact in the here and now. What is the
1: biggest benefit for the educators? What do they value the most?
0: Teachers tell us that one of the greatest benefits of the Reach early Learning Games and curriculum is, first and foremost, how excited and engaged their students are, right? So number one is, is student engagement. And number two is the fact that there aren't that many educational tools out there that are merging academic reading and writing content with 21st century or social emotional learning, right? We're looking at a holistic view of a child and educating the whole child and doing that with a strong academic lens is still unfortunately not, not super common. Um, you can find social emotional curriculum, you can certainly find reading curriculum, you can find some career exposure resources, but teachers are saying like, we really bring all three of those pieces together and together effectively to improve that engagement and, and the academics.
1: And thank you for sharing that. When I was doing my research, you know, on on what is a change you create and how you do it, your approach. And I was trying to find what I call the unique aspect of
0: your work. And you just brought together, like you made it very clear now. Exactly. And I think one piece I didn't highlight, which I'm remiss, is the cultural relevancy. So I think it's about 13% of curriculum reflects students of color. And we design our characters in our learning games and in these workplaces with great intention. So there is a ton of diversity of character, a ton of diversity of of cultural background and story. So students are getting the reading, which again, lots of folks do. They are seeing themselves in the characters and in the experiences. And they're seeing others in the characters and experience, which is as important. And they're building those social emotional skills as well, and so yes, those are the that is the differentiator. uh, Agreed. Mm -hmm. So, Christina, if we take a step back or
1: maybe a high level
0: view, how do you impact society in envisioning a world where students have the ability to pursue the career of their choice? Right. We we don't live in that world right now. Right. I don't. There. We don't have all students don't have access. Um, they don't have exposure. We're being reminded every day of the systemic issues in our country. When I take a step back, I think one of the greatest benefits of Lewis's vision that I am honored to to continue to lead and execute is to give students the access and the exposure so that they can begin to envision what success looks like for themselves. And far too many students are told, overtly or not, that they aren't valued, that people who look like them aren't going to succeed or have very few choices. And we want to blow that out of the water and we wanna present as many choices for students as humanly possible while giving them the foundation so they can seize those moments, seize that career, seize those goals, whatever it may be. Beautiful. So we talked about a lot of different
1: aspects. I want to offer you the opportunity, if there is any aspect that is crucial to talk about, that, you know, you share your thoughts now. I
0: think the, the essence of what we do with Read to Lead is to create learning games that are fun, engaging, and relevant ways to blast through traditional reading barriers. We want to promote 21st century skills. We want to expose students to careers. We do that in a way that is authentic to the workplace and relevant to, to students. I think that's beautiful.
1: Thank you. My favorite question, what is one thing
0: you want to leave your mark on within your lifetime? When I think about the impact I want to have from a career standpoint in my lifetime, I hope that my many efforts with different organizations, and I don't plan to leave this one anytime soon, truly do break down some of the barriers that students experience in this country. When I hear, when I'm talking to students today, students who are experiencing Read to Lead, And I hear them talk about all the things we talked about today. When I hear them talk about seeing other characters and seeing other people who look like them in the workplace. When I hear them talk about building confidence to be a confident reader. When I hear them talk about solving problems and how hard that is. But the more I do it, right, the better I I am at that. When I think about the foundation that my work is creating and my work with an incredible team of people is contributing to the lives of teachers and students. I want to just kind of, I want to keep doing more of that. And if that means that's going to continue to be here at Classroom Inc., I want to continue to find opportunities to break down those barriers and to give students really both relevant experiences but experiences that literally will allow them to seize opportunities they would never have had before or they wouldn't i wouldn't say that they wouldn't have envisioned for themselves before the kids you're talking about
1: uh remind me of myself and my family i work you know basically i grew up in a working class low-income family in greece a single parent my dad died when i was eight so it was my mom she was working at a factory so I wanted to become a chemist. I wanted to become a teacher and I loved STEM and physics and chemistry. I decided to go with chemistry. But a lot of the things we just talked about, I did not know these jobs exist. Like I would be a teacher, I would be a doctor, I would be a lawyer, I, or I would be working in a factory and it was clear, you know, and then I chose what I was interested. But there was nowhere, Christina, to get... Um, Like to talk about my, like my questions, to get some kind of guidance, at least, you know, to see, okay, what else can I do or how can I do it? And I was quite blessed that it was very clear that I was, you know, focused on STEM and I liked all that. But many of the kids I remember that we were growing up together in the neighborhood did not have any of that clarity. And I think it's very normal to say I don't. Many, they cannot envision it because they don't know it exists. Like, this is the biggest problem. And then we have the access to resources and access to education. But there is a lot of their world
0: is so tiny. And then, you know, how can they build something they don't know it exists? You just tapped into something when I think about the future of this. Yes, everything that you just said is so powerful and resonates so strongly with me on so many levels. And what it, it's part of the incentive right now at Classroom Inc that we want to continue to build new career worlds. We have a few, right? But all of you just said, I want to be a chemist. I want to be a designer, right? I want just an entrepreneurial mindset that I want to keep creating new modules and new learning game experiences that broaden. You know, we're scratching the surface right now. So our goal is to broaden the world for, young girls like you and I when we were much younger and and had some ideas but I want to give students so many opportunities to say there are 500 opportunities available to me and I just have to decide you know which one I'm going to pursue but I know about them right I I have the knowledge so that I or at least the exposure so that I can um, continue to pursue that exploration Mm -hmm. yeah beautiful
1: That was such an insightful and inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for the work you do leading your team. And uh, again, it was wonderful getting to know you and also your work. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maria. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, please leave us a review on iTunes to help people like you find this podcast. You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you have friends and loved ones who would be interested in this episode, please share it with them. Thank you. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidou. Till next time.